This video is part of an audiobook series featuring Principles, Life and Work, written by Ray Dalio in 2017. For more audiobooks, please visit my YouTube channel, find me on Spotify, or check out my website for downloads. Chapter 9. Constantly Train, Test, Evaluate, and Sort People Both your people and your design must evolve for your machine to improve. When you get personal evolution right, the returns are exponential. As people get better and better, they are more able to think independently, probe, and help you refine your machine. The faster they evolve, the faster your outcomes will improve. Your part in an employee's personal evolution begins with a frank assessment of their strengths and weaknesses, followed by a plan for how their weaknesses can be mitigated either through training or by switching to a different job that taps into their strengths and preferences. At Bridgewater, new employees are often taken aback by how frank or direct such conversations can be, but it's not personal or hierarchical. No one is exempt from this kind of criticism. While this process is generally difficult for both managers and their subordinates, in the long term it has made people happier and Bridgewater more successful. Remember that most people are happiest when they are improving and doing the things that suit them naturally and help them advance. So, learning about your people's weaknesses is just as valuable for them and you as is learning their strengths. Even as you help people develop, you must constantly assess whether they are able to fulfill their responsibilities excellently. This is not easy to do objectively since you will often have meaningful relationships with your reports and may be reluctant to evaluate them accurately if their performance isn't at the bar. By the same token, you may be tempted to give an employee who rubs you the wrong way a worse evaluation than he or she deserves. An idea meritocracy requires objectivity. Many of the management tools we have developed were built to do just that, providing us with an unbiased picture of people and their performance independent of any of the biases of any one manager. This data is essential in cases where a manager and a report are out of sync on an assessment and others are called in to resolve the dispute. A few years ago, one of our employees was serving in a trial role as a department head. The prior department head had left the firm, and Greg, who was then CEO, was assessing whether this employee, who had previously been a deputy, had the right abilities to step into the role. The employee thought he did. Greg and others thought he did not. But this decision was not sim as simple as the CEO making the call. We want decisions to be more evidence-based. As a result of our dot collector system of constant feedback, we had literally hundreds of data points on the specific attributes required for the job, including synthesis, knowing what he didn't know, and managing at the right level. So we put all this data onto the screen and stared hard at it together. We then asked the employee to look at that body of evidence and reflect on what he would do if he were in the position of deciding whether he'd hire himself for the job. Once he was able to step back and look at the objective evidence, he agreed to move on and try another role at Bridgewater, more suited to his strengths. Helping people acquire skills is easy. It's typically a matter of providing them with appropriate training. Improvements in abilities are more difficult but essential to expanding what a person can be responsible for over time. And changing someone's values is something you should never count on. In every relationship, there comes a point when you must decide whether you are meant for each other. That's common in private life and in any organization that holds high standards. At Bridgewater, we know that we cannot compromise on the fundamentals of our culture, so if a person can't get to the bar in an acceptable time frame, he or she must leave. 
Every leader must decide between one, getting rid of liked but incapable people to achieve their goals, and two, keeping the nice but incapable people and not achieving the goals. Whether or not you can make these hard decisions is the strongest determination of your own success or failure. In a culture like Bridgewater's, you have no choice. You must choose excellence, even though it might be difficult at the moment, because it's best for everyone. 9.1. Understand that you and the people you manage will go through a process of personal evolution. No one is exempt from this process. Having it go well depends on people's abilities to make frank assessments of strengths and weaknesses, most importantly weaknesses. While it's generally as difficult for managers to give feedback as it is for their subordinates to hear it, in the long run it makes people happier and the organization more successful. A. Recognize that personal evolution should be relatively rapid and a natural consequence of discovering one's strengths and weaknesses. As a, result, as a result, career paths are not planned at the outset. The evolutionary process is about discovering people's likes and dislikes, as well as their strengths and weaknesses. It occurs when people are put into jobs they are likely to succeed in, but in which they have to stretch themselves. Each person's career will evolve based on what we all learn about what the person is like. They should be given enough freedom to learn and think for themselves while being coached, so they are prevented from making unacceptable mistakes. The feedback they receive should help them reflect on whether their problems are the kind that can be resolved by additional learning or stem from natural abilities that are unlikely to change. Typically, it takes from 6 to 12 months to get to know a new employee in a by-and-large sort of way, and about 18 months for them to internalize and adapt to the culture. During this time, there should be periodic mini-reviews and several major ones. Following each of these assessments, new assignments should be made that are tailored to their likes and dislikes and strengths and weaknesses. This is an iterative process in which the accumulated experiences of training, testing, and adjusting direct the person to ever more suitable roles and responsibilities. At Bridgewater, it is typically both a challenging and rewarding process that benefits the individual by providing better self-understanding and greater familiarity with various jobs. When it results in a parting of ways, it usually is because people find they cannot be excellent and happy in any job at the firm. B. Understand that training guides the process of personal evolution. Trainees must be open-minded. The process requires them to suspend their egos while they discover what they are doing well and what they are doing poorly and decide what to do about it. The trainer must be open-minded as well, and, it, and it's best if at least two believable trainers work with each trainee in order to triangulate their views about what the trainee is like. This training is an, is an apprentice relationship. It occurs as the trainer and trainee share experiences, much like when a ski instructor skis alongside his student. The process promotes growth, development, and transparency around where people stand, why they stand where they stand, and what they can do about improving it. It hastens not just their own personal evolution, but the evolution of the organization. C. Teach your people to fish rather than give them fish, even if that means letting them make some mistakes. Sometimes you need to stand by and let someone make a mistake, provided that it's not too serious, so that they can learn. It's a bad sign if you are constantly telling people what they should do. Micromanagement typically reflects inability on the part of the person being managed. It's also not a good thing for you as a manager. Instead of micromanaging, you should be training and testing. Give people your thoughts on how they might approach their decisions, but don't dictate to them. 
The most useful thing you can do is to get in sync with them, exploring how they are doing things and why. D. Recognize that experience creates internalized learning that book learning cannot replace. There are huge differences between memory-based book learning and hands-on internalized learning. A medical student who has learned to perform an operation in a medical school class has not learned it in the same way as a doctor who has already conducted several operations. People who excel at book learning tend to call up from memory what they have learned in order to follow stored instructions. People who have internalized in order to people who have internalized their learning use the thoughts flowing from their subconscious without thinking in the same way they might walk down the street. Understanding these differences is essential. 9.2. Provide constant feedback. Most training comes from doing and getting in sync about performance. Feedback should reflect what is succeeding and what is not in proportion to the actual situation, rather than in an attempt to balance compliments and criticisms. Remember that you are responsible for achieving your goals and you want your machine to function as intended. For it to do so, the employees you supervise must meet expectations, and only you can help them understand whether they are stacking up. As their strengths and weaknesses become clearer, responsibilities can be more appropriately tailored to make the machine work better and to facilitate personal evolution. 9.3. E evaluate accurately, not kindly. Nobody ever said radical honesty was easy. Sometimes, especially with new employees who have not yet gotten used to it, an honest assessment feels like an attack. Rise to a higher level and keep your eye on the bigger picture and counsel the person you are evaluating to do the same. A. In the end, accuracy and kindness are the same thing. What might seem kind but isn't accurate is harmful to the person and often to others in the organization as well. B. Put your compliments and criticisms in perspective. It helps to clarify whether the weakness or mistake under discussion is indicative of a trainee's total evaluation. One day, I told one of our new research people what a good job I thought he was doing and how strong his thinking was. It was a very positive initial evaluation. A few days later, I heard him chatting away at length, at length about stuff that wasn't related to work, so I warned him about the cost to his and our development if he regularly wasted time. Afterward, I learned that he thought he was on the brink of being fired, but my comment about his need for focus had nothing to do with my overall evaluation. Had I explained myself better when we sat down that second time, he could have put my comment into perspective. C. Think about accuracy, not implications. It's often the case that someone receiving critical feedback gets preoccupied with the implications of that feedback instead of whether it's true. This is a mistake. As I'll explain later, conflating the what is with the what to do about it typically leads to bad decision making. Help others through this by giving feedback in a way that makes clear what you're just trying to understand is true. Figuring out what to do about it is a separate discussion. D. Make accurate assessments. People are your most important resource and truth is the foundation of excellence. So make your personal evaluations as accurate and precise as possible. This takes time and considerable back and forth. Your assessment of how responsible parties are performing should be based not on whether they're doing it your way, but on whether they're doing it in a good way. Speak frankly. Listen with an open mind. Consider the views of other believable and honest people and try to get in sync about what's going on with the person and why. Remember not to be overconfident in your assessments. 
as it is all possible that you are wrong. E. Learn from success as well as from failure. Radical truth doesn't require you to be negative all the time. Point out examples of jobs done well and the causes of their success. This reinforces the actions that led to the results and creates role models for those who are learning. F. Know that most everybody thinks that what they did and what they are doing is much more important than it really is. If you ask everybody in an organization what percentage of the organization's success they're personally, personally responsible for, you'll wind up with a total of about 300%. That's just the reality, and it shows why you must be precise in attributing specific results to specific people's actions. Otherwise, you'll never know who is responsible for what. And even worse, you may make this mistake of believing people who wrongly claim to be behind great accomplishments. 9.4. Recognize that tough love is both the hardest and the most important type of love to give because it is so rarely welcomed. The greatest gift you can give someone is the power to be successful. Giving people the opportunity to struggle rather than giving them the things they are struggling for will make them stronger. Compliments are easy to give, but they don't help people stretch. Pointing out someone's mistakes and weaknesses so they learn what they need to deal with is harder and less appreciated, but much more valuable in the long term. Through new though new employees will come to appreciate what you are doing, it is typically difficult for them to understand at first. To be effective, you must clearly and repeatedly explain the logic and the caring behind it. A. Recognize that while most people prefer compliments, accurate criticism is more valuable. You've heard the expression, no pain, no gain. Psychologists have shown that the most powerful personal transformations come from experiencing the pain from mistakes that a person never wants to have again, known as hitting bottom. So don't be hesitant to give people those experiences or have them yourself. While it is important to be clear to people about what they are doing well, it is even more important to point out their weaknesses and have them reflect on them. Problems require more time than things that are going well. They must be identified and understood and addressed, while things that are running smoothly require less attention. Instead of celebrating how great we are, we focus on where we need to improve, which is how we got to be so great. 9.5. Don't hide your observations about people. Explore them openly with the goal of figuring out how you and your people are built so that the right people can be put in the right jobs. A. Build your synthesis from the specifics up. By synthesizing, I mean converting a lot of data into an accurate picture. Too many people make assessments of people without connecting them to specific data. When you have all the specifics that we have at Bridgewater, the dots, meeting tapes, etc., you can and must work from the specifics up and see the patterns in the data. Even without such tools, other data such as metrics, testing, and the input of others can help you form a more complete picture of what the person is like, as well as examine what they did. B. Squeeze the dots. Every observation of a person potentially tells you something valuable about how they operate. As I explained earlier, I call these observations dots. A dot is a piece of data that's paired with your inference about what it means, a judgment about what someone might have decided, said, or thought. Most of the time, we make these inferences and judgments implicitly and keep them to ourselves, but I believe that if they are collected systematically and put into perspective over time, they can be extremely valuable when it's time to step back and synthesize the picture of a person. C. Don't over-squeeze a dot. 
Remember, a dot is just a dot. What matters is how they add up. Think of each individual as an at-bat in baseball. Even great hitters are going to strike out many times, and it would be foolish to evaluate them based on one trip to the plate. That's why stats like on-base percentage and batting average exist. In other words, any one event has many different possible explanations, whereas a pattern of behavior can tell you a lot about root causes. The number of observations needed to detect a pattern largely depends on how well you get in sync after each observation. A quality discussion of how and why a person behaved a certain way should help you understand the larger picture. D. Use evaluation tools such as performance surveys, metrics, and formal reviews to document all aspects of a person's performance. It's hard to have an objective, open-minded, emotion-free conversation about performance if there is no data to discuss. It's also hard to track progress. This is part of the reason I created the Dot Collector. I also recommend thinking about other ways that people's responsibilities can be put into metrics. One example, you can have people note whether they did or didn't do things on checklists, which you can then use to calculate what percentage of tasks they complete. Metrics tell us whether things are going according to plan, they are an objective means of assessment, and they provide, sorry, they improve people's productivity. 9.6. Make the process of learning what someone is like open, evolutionary, and iterative. Articulate your assessment of a person's values, abilities, and skills up front and share it. Listen to theirs and others' responses to your description. Organize a plan for training and testing and reassess your conclusions based on the performance observed. Do this on an ongoing basis. After several months of discussions and real-world tests, you and your report should both have a pretty good idea of what he or she is like. Over time, this exercise will crystallize suitable roles and appropriate training, or it will reveal that it's time for the person to find a more appropriate job elsewhere. A. Make your metrics clear and impartial. To help you build your perpetual motion machine, have a clear set of rules and a clear set of metrics on how to track people on, to track how people are performing against those rules and predetermined consequences that are determined formulaically based on the output of those metrics. Whew. Jeez. The more clear-cut the rules are, the less arguing there will be about whether someone did something wrong. For example, we have rules about how employees can manage their own investments in a way that doesn't conflict with how we manage money for clients. Because these rules are clear-cut, there's no room for argument when a breach occurs. Having metrics that allow everyone to see everyone else's track record will make evaluation more objective and fair. People will do the things that will get them higher grades and will argue less about them. Of course, since most people have a number of things to do but are of different importance, different metrics have to be used and weighed appropriately. The more data you collect, the more immediate and precise the feedback will be. That is one of the reasons I created the Dot Collector tool to work as it does, providing lots of immediate feedback. People often use the feedback that they get during a meeting to course correct in the meeting in real time. Once you have your metrics, you can tie them to an algorithm that spits out consequences. They can be as simple as saying that for every time you do X, you will earn Y amount of money or bonus points. Or it can be more complex, for example, tying the weighted mix of metric grades to other algorithms that provide the estimated compensation or bonus. While this process will never be exact, it will still be good in even its crudest form, and over time it will evolve to be terrific.
Even when flawed, the formulaic output can be used with discretion to provide a more precise evaluation and compensation. Over time, it will evolve into a wonderful machine that will do much of your managing better than you could do it on your own. B. Encourage people to be objectively reflective about their performance. Being able to see yourself from a higher level is essential for personal evolution and achieving your goals. So you and the people who report to you should be looking at the evidence of their performance together. For this to go well, you need lots and lots of evidence and an objective point of view. If required, use agreed-upon others to triangulate the picture the evidence presents. C. Look at the whole picture. In reviewing someone, the goal is to see the patterns and to understand the whole picture. No one can be successful in every way if they are extremely meticulous. For example, they might not be able to be fast, and vice versa. Assessments made in reviews must be concrete. They're not about what people should be like, but what they are like. D. For performance reviews, start from specific cases, look for patterns, and get in sync with the person being reviewed by looking at the evidence together. While feedback should be constant, reviews are typically periodic. Their purpose is to bring together the accumulated evidence of what a person is like as it pertains to their job performance. If the constant feedback is done well, it will become like a constant review of the bits and pieces that will add up to the whole. A review should contain few surprises because you should continuously be striving to make sense of how the person is doing their job. If you think their job is being done badly, you should have been probing to identify and address the root causes of their underperformance on a case-by-case -case basis. It's difficult for people to identify their own weaknesses. They need the appropriate probing, not nitpicking, of specific cases by others to get at the truth of what they are like and how they are fitting into their jobs. In some cases, it won't take long to see what a person is like. In other cases, it's a lot harder. But over time, and with a large enough sample of cases, their track records, the level and the steepness up or down, the trajectories that they are responsible for, rather than the occasional wiggles, should paint a clear picture of what you can expect from them. If there are performance issues, it is either because of design problems, perhaps the person has too many responsibilities, or fit-slash-abilities problems. If the problems are due to the person's inabilities, these inabilities are either because the person's innate weakness for someone doing that job, like someone who's five foot two shouldn't be the center of a basketball team, or because of inadequate training. A good review and getting in sync throughout the year should get at these things. Make sure to make your assessment relative to the absolute bar, not just the progress over time. What matters most is not just outcomes, but how responsibilities were handled. The goal of a review is to be clear about what the person can and can't be trusted to do based on what they are like. From there, you can determine what to do about it. E. Remember that when it comes to assessing people, the two biggest mistakes you can make are being overconfident in your assessment and failing to get in sync on it. If you believe that something is true about someone, it's your responsibility to make sure that it is true about the person that you're assessing and that they agree. Of course, in some cases it may be impossible to get in sync if you believe that someone was dishonest and they insist that they weren't, for example. But in a culture of truth and transparency, it is an obligation to share your view and let others express theirs. F. Get in sync on assessments in a non-hierarchical way. 
In most organizations, evaluations run in only one direction, with the manager assessing the managee. The managee typically disagrees with the assessment, especially if it is worse than his or her own self-assessment, because most people believe themselves to be better than they really are. Managees also have opinions about managers that they wouldn't dare bring up in most companies, so misunderstandings and resentments fester. This perverse behavior undermines the effectiveness of the environment and the relationships between people. It can be avoided by getting in sync in a high-quality way. Your reports have to believe that you're not their enemy, that your sole goal is to move toward the truth, that you are trying to help them and so will not enable their self-deception, perpetuate a lie, or let them get off the hook. This has to be done in an honest and transparent way, because if someone believes they are being pigeonholed unfairly, the process won't work. As equal partners, it is up to both of you to get to the truth. When each party is an equal participant, no one can feel cornered. G. Learn about your people and have them learn about you through frank conversations about mistakes and their root causes. You need to be clear in conveying your assessments to your reports and open-minded in listening to their replies, so you can work on setting their training and career paths together. Recognizing and communicating people's weaknesses is one of the most difficult things managers have to do. It's important for the party receiving feedback to be sympathetic to the person trying to give it, because it's not easy. It takes character on the part of both participants to get to the truth. H. Understand that making sure people are doing a good job doesn't require watching at everything that everybody is doing at all times. You just have to know what they are like and get a sampling. Regular sampling of a statistically reliable number of cases will show you what a person is like and what you can expect from them. Select which of their actions are critical enough to need pre-approval and which can be examined later. Be sure to do the audit because people will tend to give themselves too much slack or could cheat when they see that they're not being checked. I. Recognize that change is difficult. Anything that requires change can be difficult, yet in order to learn and grow and make progress, you must change. When facing a change, ask yourself, am I being open-minded or am I being resistant? Confront your difficulties head-on, force yourself to explore where they came from, and you'll find that you will learn a lot. J. Help people through the pain that comes with exploring their weaknesses. Emotions tend to heat up during most disagreements, especially when the subject is someone's weaknesses. Speak in a calm, slow, and analytical manner to facilitate communication. Put things in perspective by reminding them that their pain is the pain that comes with learning and personal evolution, and that knowing the truth will put them on the path to a much better place. Consider asking them to go away and reflect when they are calm and have a follow-up conversation a few days later. Ultimately, to help people succeed, you have to do two things. First, let them see their failures so clearly that they are motivated to change them and then show them how to either change what they are doing to rely on others who are strong where they are weak. While doing the first without the second can be demoralizing to the people you are trying to help, doing them both should be invigorating, especially when they start experiencing the benefits. 9.7. Knowing how people operate and being able to judge whether that way of operating will lead to good results is more important than knowing what they did. Knowing what people are like is the best indicator of how well they are likely to handle their responsibilities in the future. 
At Bridgewater, we call this paying more attention to the swing than to the shot. Since good and bad outcomes can arise from circumstances that might not have anything to do with how the individual handled the situation, it is preferable to assess people based on both their reasoning and their outcomes. I probe their thinking in a very frank way so as not to let them off the hook. Doing this has taught me a lot about how to assess others' logic and how to have better logic myself. When both the outcomes and the thinking behind them are bad, and when this happens a number of times, I know I don't want them to do that type of thinking anymore. For example, if you're a poker player and you play a lot of poker, you will win some hands and lose others. And on any given night, you might walk away with less money than a lesser player who's gotten lucky. It would be a mistake to judge the quality of a player based on just one, one outcome. Instead, look at how well someone does what they do and the outcomes produced over time. A. If someone is doing their job poorly, consider whether it is due to inadequate learning or inadequate ability. Think of people's performance as being made up of two things, learning and ability, as shown on page 437. Mm -hmm. A weakness that is due to a lack of experience or training can be fixed, while a weakness that is due to a lack of ability can't be. Failing to distinguish between these causes is a common mistake among managers because managers are often reluctant to appear unkind or judgmental. Also, they know that people assessed this way tend to push back. This is another one of those situations in which you must force yourself to be practical and realistic. B. Training and testing a poor performer to see if he or she can acquire the required skills without simultaneously trying to assess their abilities is a common mistake. Skills are readily testable, so they should be easy to determine. Abilities, especially right-brained abilities, are more difficult to assess. When thinking about why someone is a poor performer, openly consider whether it is a problem with their abilities. 9.8. Recognize that when you are really in sync with someone about their weaknesses, the weaknesses are probably true. When you reach an agreement, it's a good sign you've arrived at the truth, which is why getting to that point is such a great achievement. This is one of the main reasons that the person being evaluated must be an equal participant in the process. When you do agree, make a formal record of it. This information will be a critical building block for future success. A. When judging people, remember that you don't have to get to the point of beyond a shadow of a doubt. Perfect understanding isn't possible. Trying to get to it wastes time and st stalls progress. Instead, work toward developing a mutually agreed upon, by and large understanding of what someone is like that has a high level of confidence behind it. When necessary, take the time to enrich this understanding. B. It should take you no more than a year to learn what a person is like and whether they are a click for their job. You should be able to roughly assess someone's abilities after 6 to 12 months of close contact, numerous tests, and getting in sync. A more confident assessment will probably take about 18 months. This timeline will, of course, depend on the job, the person, the amount of contact with them, and how well you get in sync. C. Continue assessing people throughout their tenure. As you get to know your people better, you will be able to train and direct them. Most importantly, you will be able to assess their core values and abilities more accurately and make sure you, that they complement yours. Don't rest with your initial evaluation, however. Always ask yourself if you would have hired them for that job knowing what you know now. 
if not get them out of the job. D. Evaluate employees with the same rigor as you evaluate job candidates. I find it puz puzzling that interviewers freely and confidently criticize job candidates without knowing them well, but won't criticize employees for similar weaknesses, even though they have more evidence. That is because they view criticism as harmful and feel more protective of a fellow employee than they do of an outsider. If you believe that truth is best for everyone, then you should see why this is a mistake and why frank and ongoing evaluations are so important. 9.9. .9. Train, guardrail, or remove people. Don't rehabilitate them. Training is part of a plan to develop people's skills and help them evolve. Rehabilitation is an attempt to make or create significant changes in people's values and or abilities. Since values and abilities are difficult to change, rehabilitation is typically impractical. Since people with inappropriate values and inadequate abilities can have a devastating impact on the organization, they should be fired. If rehabilitation is attempted, it is generally best directed by professionals over extended periods of time. Remember that if you are expecting people to be much better in the near future than they have been in the past, you are probably making a serious mistake. People who repeatedly operate in a certain way will probably continue to operate that way because that behavior reflects what they're like. Since people generally change slowly, you should expect slow improvement at best. Instead, we need to accommodate people's weaknesses is generally a bad idea. It is better to sort the people. Sometimes good people lose their boxes, they get fired from their role, because they can't evolve into responsible parties soon enough. Some of them might be good in another position, in which case they should have been reassigned within the company. Some of them will not and should leave. A. Don't collect people. It is much worse to keep someone in a job unsuitable for them than it is to fire or reassign them. Consider the enormous tasks of not firing someone unsuited for a job, the costs of bad performance, the time and effort wasted trying to train them, and the greater pain of firing someone who's been around a while, say five years or more, compared with letting someone go after just a year. Keeping people in jobs they are not suited for is terrible for them because it allows them to live in a false reality while holding back their personal evolution. And it is terrible for the community because it compromises the meritocracy and everyone pays the price. Don't let yourself be held hostage to anyone. There is always someone else. Hmm. Never compromise your standards or let yourself be squeezed. Hmm. Be, wow, be willing to, quote, shoot the people you love, end quote. It is very difficult to fire people you care about. Cutting someone that you have a meaningful relationship with but who isn't an A player in their job is difficult because ending good relationships is hard, but it is necessary for the long-term excellence of the company. You may have a need for the work they're doing, even if it's not excellent, and find it hard to make a change, but they will pollute the environment and fail you when you really need them. Doing this is one of those difficult, necessary things. The best way to do that is love the people you shoot. Oh, geez. Do it with consideration and in a way that helps them. C. When someone is without a box, consider whether there is an open box that would be a better fit or whether you need to get them out of the company. Recognize that if they failed in that job, it is because of some qualities they have. You will need to understand what those qualities are and make sure they don't apply to any new role. 
Also, if you learn that they don't have the potential to move up, don't let them occupy the seat of someone who can. Remember that you're trying to select people with whom you want to share your life with. Everyone evolves over time because managers develop a better idea of a new hire's strengths and weaknesses and their fit within the culture than what emerges from the interview process. They are well positioned to assess them for another role if the one they were hired for doesn't work out. Whenever someone fails at a job, it's critical to understand why they failed and why those reasons won't pose the same problems in a new job. D. Be cautious about allowing people to step back to another role after failing. Note I said be cautious. I didn't say never because it depends on the circumstances. On the one hand, you want people to stretch themselves and experiment with new jobs. You don't want to get rid of a great person just because he or she tried something new and failed. But on the other hand, if you look at the most at most people in the situation, by and large, you will regret allowing them to step back. There are three reasons for this. One, you're giving up a seat for someone else who might be able to advance, and people who can advance are better than people who can't. Two, the person stepping back should continue to want to do what they aren't capable capable of doing, so there's a real risk of them job slipping into work that they are not fit for. And three, the person may experience a sense of confinement and resentment being back in a job that they probably can't advance beyond. Keeping them is generally viewed as the preferable short-run decision, but in the long run, it's probably the wrong thing to do. This is a hard decision. You need to understand deeply that the person, what the person in the situation is like and weigh the costs carefully before deciding. 9.10. Remember that the goal of a transfer is the best, highest use of the person in a way that benefits the community as a whole. Both affected managers should be in sync that the new role is the best, highest use, or escalate up the chain to make a determination. The manager wanting to recruit the person is responsible for not causing a disruption. An informal conversation to see if someone is interested is fine, but there should be no active recruiting prior to getting in sync with the existing manager. The timing of the move should be decided by the existing manager in consultation with relevant parties. A. Have people complete their swings before moving on to new roles. There should always be follow-through, not interruption unless a pressing reason exists when, say, a person would be a great click for another job that needs to be filled immediately. In a company where things are evolving quickly and people are expected to speak openly, it is natural that there will be a steady stream of opportunities for employees to move into new roles. But if too many people jump from one job to another without fulfilling the responsibilities, the resulting discontinuity, disorder, and instability will be bad for managers, bad for the culture, and bad for the people moving because they won't be adequately tested in their ability to move things to completion. As a guideline, a year at a, a job is sufficient before having conversations about a new role, although this isn't black and white. The range could easily vary depending on circumstances. In 9.11, don't lower the bar. You reach a point in all relationships when you must decide whether you are meant for each other. That's common in private life and at any organization that holds very high standards. At Bridgewater, we know that we cannot compromise on the fundamentals of our culture. So if a person cannot operate within our requirements of excellence through radical truth and transparency in an acceptable time frame, he or she must leave.